You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. We're in the financial planning program at the University of Georgia. And speaking of universities, on today's episode, we're talking about the value of education. Or simply, is it worth going to college? And how worth it? A little worth it? A lot of worth it? Well, consider this. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the pay gap between college graduates and people with less education is the highest it's ever been. People with bachelor's degrees make about twice as much as people with just a high school degree. And having a doctoral degree or professional degree gets you three times as much. And it's not just how much money you're making. People with a bachelor's degree have half the unemployment rate of people with just a high school degree. And people with a postgraduate degree, their employment rate is just a third as much as someone with a high school degree. Now, over time, the higher pay and lower unemployment that comes with having a degree turns into enormous differences in lifetime earnings. So let's take someone who just graduated with a high school degree, and they start working today. By the time they retire, we would expect them to earn about $1.2 million. And that sounds like a lot of money. Until you compare it to someone with a bachelor's degree. Exactly. People with bachelor's degrees are expected to earn almost twice that. 2.1 million. A master's degree? That tags on even more. <laughs> 2.5 million for them. What if you kept going and earned a PhD? That would net you a cool $3.4 million. But that's small potatoes compared to our professional degree holders, our doctors and lawyers. The average person with a professional degree is expected to rake in $4.4 million, nearly four times as much as someone with just a high school degree. So, go to college. No questions asked, right? Or is it a little more nuanced? We have a bubble in education like we had a bubble in housing in the last decade. Everybody believed you had to have a house and they'd pay whatever it took. Uh, today, everybody believes that we need to go to college and people will pay uh, whatever it takes. That was Peter Thiel, billionaire founder of PayPal, first investor in Facebook. In his 60 Minutes interview with Morty Schaefer a few years ago, he was pretty down on higher education. Hey, can you say Peter Thiel, Thiel, how do you feel like five times fast? <laughs> <laughs> I know I couldn't, but anyway, a higher <laughs> education bubble? What does that even mean? Housing prices can fall. People can stop buying new homes. But my college degree... Your college degree, no one can take that away from us. Sure, it's true. It does stay with us for life. But what Peter's saying is that the value of holding that degree can and does fluctuate. And his views are a bit more nuanced than just higher education's a waste. Here's Morty Schaefer. Your megaphone is saying, don't go to college. Is that what you really mean? Uh, I'm, I'm saying that people should think hard about why they're going to college. If your life plan is to be a professor or to be a doctor or some other career where you need a specific credential, you, um, you should and probably have to go to college. Uh, if your uh, plan is to do something very different, you should, think, uh, you should think really hard about it. Look, I'm going to clear something up here first. I agree with Peter Thiel about very little. He's in many ways like the villain in a cyberpunk dystopia. But on this point, I do agree with that. Right, hold on, hold on. You can't just say cyberpunk dystopia... And not give that's us not a, an example. That's not a common turn of phrase. Look, this guy's like a real-life Lex Luthor. You know the movie The Matrix? Yeah, he would invent The Matrix. <laughs> what? Yeah, you don't believe me, look him up, Peter Thiel. All right, back to the main point here. You're a professor. Yes. So are you one of those people 
Peter says should have gone to college. I, probably, since I can remember, since I was a little kid, the conversation was always, when you become a doctor, when you become a lawyer or a professor. So that was ingrained in me, and all the jobs that I ever considered, I needed that college degree. So you're not so down on higher education for everyone? No, not everyone. Some people really benefit from going, and it unlocks doors for them. It unlocked doors for me, and I think you feel the same way. Yeah, I went to William A. Wirt High School in Gary, Indiana, and if you know anything about Gary, you would have never guessed that I'm a product of that environment, but I am. Mm. Uh, my mom used to tell me stories about how uh, people would say her family was never going to amount to anything. So going to college has always been a little bit more personal for me. It was my way of saying to all the naysayers that we are somebody. Wow, that's something. Yeah, man. Uh, you opened the door. In fact, actually, I'd like to give a quick shout out to all the residents of Gary, Indiana, listening to this show. Uh, things aren't the best back at home, but know that where you are doesn't have to define who you are and what you will become. So one big piece of this conversation is, are you going to college because you have to for the job you want? And if you need a degree for that job, go to college. And the other piece is, what is the economic value of going? And that value piece has two parts. How much are you going to earn once you graduate? And on the other hand, how much is your education going to cost you? Let's focus first on that earnings piece. Back to Morty and Peter. There are all sorts of uh, vocational uh, careers that pay extremely well today. So. Uh, uh, the average plumber makes as much as the average doctor. Really? That can't be true. I was also a little skeptical, so I did some digging. I'm not sure what data Peter's citing here, but I'll explain what's going on as far as I understand it. A few studies came out around 2010, the most famous from Boston University, and they compared lifetime net worth across a few professions. I hear you saying lifetime, because there is just no way a plumber makes as much as a doctor does mm -hmm. in any given year. Right. Well, so any given year where they're both working, in their peak earning years, plumbers can make upwards of $120,000. That's not bad. But doctors can make four times that or more. Okay, so I'm a doctor making half a million a year. How can I possibly pull in less than a plumber? Because in order to become a doctor, you've got to spend over a decade in college and in residency. And those years are really expensive. You know what? I remember reading an article by NerdWallet saying that the average doctor took on roughly $170,000 in student loan debt, right? Yeah, and that's a lot of money, but not even the worst part. It gets worse. Well, what is that plumber doing while the doctor's studying? Working? Yes, and earning a lot of money. An estimate by Investment News back in 2011 suggested a plumber could make a million dollars by the time the average doctor gets out of residency. And how long is that? Well, medical school plus residency, that's about 10 years, give or take, tag on undergrad, and you have some people spending 16 years getting ready to be a full-time doctor. Now, you're a doctor, not a yeah. medical doctor, uh, though. Right. How many years did it take you to finish all of your education? Eleven and a half my 20s are gone. <laughs> well, I'm about eight years in, so I'm right there with you. And we're not alone. Americans are going to school longer than ever. We may think college is just four years, but the average time to graduation for an undergraduate degree is between five and six. And if you're thinking of grad school, the average time for a PhD is another six years. And for some degrees like English, the average is more like eight. Ugh. Oof, indeed. <laughs> I wonder why we say ugh. Like, where does, where does that even come it's, from? It's, it's too bad neither of us has an English PhD. <laughs> Not at all. Answer okay. that question for us. <laughs> so, point made. But let's get back to our story. These doctors go into debt. 
there is this enormous opportunity cost of not working and even if they get scholarships, they're not making up for the lost millions versus the plumbers. Nope. And right. that is how Peter Thiel comes to this conclusion that plumbers are better off. Now, he's actually wrong if both the doctor and plumber work until normal retirement age. Eventually, the doctor catches up. So how long does that take? The doctor is making four times as much money, right? Mm-hmm. An extra $300,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be that long. Well... Wrong. The, the doctor also has to pay a lot more in taxes, so they don't pocket all that extra money. It actually takes them about 20 years to catch up. That's over half their career. Yeah, and that's a plumber versus a medical doctor. Now imagine how the math works out when you compare a plumber to, say, a social psychologist and an accountant. Not good. Nope. Hmm. Any leaky pipes at your place? <laughs> no, you and a toolbox aren't getting anywhere near my apartment. You're a liberal arts major. Hey, really? now you're starting to sound a bit like Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe from uh, Dirty Jobs on the Discovery Channel? Yes, the very same. And also the host of Somebody's Gotta Do It, Building America. Love it. Mike is actually a college graduate himself, but has spent most of the last 20 years as an advocate for more vocational work. You have right now about 3 million jobs, transportation, commerce, um, trades that can't be filled. Um, jobs that typically parents don't sit down and say to their kids, look, if all goes well, this is, this is what you're going to do. Yes, you heard that right. Millions of jobs just waiting for people with the right skills. In the United States, we have a major shortage of all sorts of skilled laborers, such as welders and even nurses. If you're thinking to yourself, hey, being a plumber doesn't sound so bad anymore, check out the Mike Rowe Works Foundation at www.mikerowworks.com or at profoundlydisconnected.com. One reason that number is so high is that unemployment is so low, right? So according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the unemployment rate at the moment is about 4.5%. That leaves only 7 million people looking for work. Sure. And imagine this Venn diagram. 7 million people looking, mm-hmm. 3 million jobs left open. You might think this all figured itself out. No job openings and only 4 million unemployed. But then we've got all these liberal arts majors gumming up the works. Yes. Oh, we're terrible. (laughs) Now, to be fair, it's not just us by any means. We've also got millions of people who dropped out of high school or who may have even fewer skills than a history major. Or people who live in areas of the country with fewer jobs, less access to transportation. Oh, sure. We can add systemic racial and gender discrimination to that list as well. Issues I know a bit about because, well, that's the sort of thing I studied when I got my Ph.D., And I don't mean to suggest at all that the problem is just too many people following their impractical passions. Yeah, these people you're talking about, right? They're they're not dumb people. They went to school and they learned skills that aren't in demand now. But there's this circular logic here. Should they just go back to school to get new skills? I mean, that's what we did. Yeah, I'm being a bit of a hypocrite (laughs) here. So I, okay, so I study diversity science. I have some success there, and then when I go to graduate, the jobs just aren't there, or at least not jobs that I want. So I go back to school for personal finance, and I got a job almost immediately. So there you go. Stop being so down on education. Education right. got you the job you have. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, absolutely did. I'm high in education. I'm a professor, right? I'm so ingrained in this system. But you're not a psychologist anymore. No. So I switched to a growing field that has lots of jobs. And this is very important. I switched to something that I was also passionate about. Money, money, money. Hashtag OJs for everyone listening. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah. 
helping people with no money manage their not money, yes. Uh, in a way, it's like I'm still doing diversity training. The focus is a little bit different. Sure. And I think you have a similar situation. Yeah. I started working as an accountant, but I always knew that I wanted to do more on the personal finance side of things. I wasn't going to help create a culture of generational wealth building among underserved populations by being the expert on how to do people's taxes. So our advice, don't give up on your passions. Just take a moment to figure out which passion can also earn you a living wage. And we can help you do just that after we get back from a short break. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money on WUGA Athens. 91.7 and 94.5 FM. I'm Matt Gorin. And this is Michael Thomas. Visit us on campus at the Aspire Clinic. Or online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. We'll get back to talking about following your passion soon. But first, we have a reason to celebrate. That we do. All right, and I brought some champagne for this special occasion. All right, all right. All right, a couple of glasses. Here you go. All right, thanks, my man. Yes, all right, just a moment here. Let me get this guy open. All right. All right. Sorry, this little metal twisty. Take your time. Yeah, I'm just going to need to get the cork off here. All right, no problem. Sorry. My family's weak thumbs. All right, dude, just angle it. All right, I think, hold bit. on. I think I got it. All right. Oh, whoa! Oh, whoa! Really? Oh, oh crap. <laughs> Chris is going to kill us, man. Oh, jeez. There's oh, foam and champagne everywhere. All right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, there's nothing even left in the bottle. All right. All right. Well, just all foam. All right, dude. What What are we celebrating here? I'm sorry. I think With I all shook this it too mess much. all over the place. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, we were named the runner-up pro bono financial planners of the year by Financial Planning Magazine. That's a nationally competitive award. Yeah. The University of Georgia won it for hosting uh, Nothing Funny About Money and running the Aspire Clinic as well as Vita Services. That's Athens. That's right. We are now the award-winning personal finance show. So thank you very much to Financial Planning for this honor, as well as Joe Getz, Lance Palmer, Megan Ford, and the rest of the staff of the Aspire Clinic for our joint award. All right. See what happens when you follow your passions. Yeah. In some cases, it does work out. But it's not just luck. It helps to plan ahead and find opportunities where there's lots of potential. And some college majors tend to have lots of opportunities, while others, not so much. Matt, you pulled up a bunch of statistics on employment by major, right? Yeah, let's say someone's going back to school like I did or like you did, or say they're going for the first time. They're thinking, I'm interested in this, I'm interested in that. Check out lists like the one we're about to go through to help you make the decision. Okay, so let's go with the stereotype, right? I want to mm-hmm. help people. I want to make right. the world a better place. Right, yes. Okay, so that's both of us. We're bleeding hearts. <laughs> All right, so lots of possible majors here. And someone might pick, for example, a degree in clinical psychology. Back in 2011, the U.S. Census Bureau looked at unemployment across a bunch of majors. Clinical psych, what do you think? What's the unemployment percentage? What was the average then? What, um, more like 9%? Yeah, 9%, twice what it is right now. Okay, so if the average is 9%, I don't know, 9%? Uh, they do have a college degree. Oh, if only. How wonderful would that have been for them? What was it? 20%. What? One out of five unemployed. Oh, my goodness. That was the worst of them all, clinical psychology. Oh, that sucks for those people. And it's a little better for them now, but it's still high. And that's very different than some other helping professions. What What do you have in mind? How about nursing? Your wife's a nurse? You good with nurses? Yeah, love my wife and the nursing profession. Okay, back to 2011. Unemployment, 9% nationwide. How bad for nurses? Just 2% unemployment. That does not surprise me. And that's true to this day. There just aren't enough nurses. 
But I can already hear people saying, well, that's so different than being a clinical psychologist. Okay, fine. Number two was nursing. Number three, lowest unemployment with 3% treatment therapy professionals. That's, that's, that's interesting. It might not be mental health therapy, but you're still helping individual clients recover from some sort of trauma. And you did this math for your own career change, right? Compared social psychology and personal finance. Well, I was living it. I saw it with my own eyes. But then for the show, I did go back and look. And how's it look? Social psych had twice wow. the unemployment rate of personal finance. So the experience I was having is borne out in the stats. And the unemployment rates are not the only story either. Uh, the U.S. Census Bureau also looked at average salaries. And as you would expect, high-demand majors also tended to come with much higher paydays. Yeah, let's zoom back to 2011 again to use the same data set. Average salary for a nurse, $66,000. That's why I love nurses. Mm. And my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love her for other reasons. Oh, oh, sure you do. (laughs) But it doesn't hurt. I'm sure you do. All right, okay. Nurse, (laughs) $66,000. Average salary for a counseling psychologist, less than half as much. $29,000. So this goes back to what we said before. Know what you're getting yourself into. Want to help people? Awesome. Great. We love it. It's what we do. Find a major that translates into a job that pays you well, that gives you a high return on the investment you're making in the degree. Exactly. The earnings is only one piece of the puzzle. You also have to be mindful of what you were paying out of pocket to go to school. Okay. Here's a good one for you. How long would it take for your grocery bill to double? What does this have to do with school costs? Uh, just follow me on this one. <laughs> All right. Given that inflation is roughly 2.53% from year to year, just round up, rule of 72, it would take about 24 years for the price of my groceries to double. Yeah, right on. You pay attention to your yeah. classes. All right. So now, how now about- you have a college degree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, how about medical costs? How long would it take medical costs? All right, costs medical double? costs are outrageous. I don't, I don't even know where to begin. Okay, honestly. so they're, they're going up about twice as fast as food. Okay, so if that's so the three percent before. All right, so at six percent roughly, then seventy rule is seventy two. All right, yep. I would say twelve years. Okay. Right. Okay. So if we go from a parent to a child, we would double the price twice. Wow. So let's say wisdom teeth got to come out. Five hundred back in the early nineties, two thousand dollars today. Right, and that right. might sound bad until you compare it to education costs. Mm. Those double every nine yeah. years. So when you go from what a parent paid to what a child pays, you double three times. Right. In other words, eight times the cost from one generation to the next one. So you hear this. Back in my day, I paid for college with a part-time job. Right. (laughs) When that degree only cost you $8,000, you might have been able to do that. But today, $64,000, no part-time jobs covering that. And if you're a parent with a 10-year-old child, think about this. If you have a 10-year-old child, guess what? Prices are likely to double by the time he or she actually goes to college. So that tuition might be 12000 now, but it could cost you $24,000 a year by the time your son or daughter actually enrolls. And by the way, we're renaming the show to Nothing Terrifying <laughs> About Money. All right. This takes us back to that idea of return on investment. College is becoming so much more expensive and in some cases so much so that it is quickly outpacing the potential payoff of certain degrees. So low-income families might be thinking, well, I can't afford any of this. 
education might not be worth it. You know what makes me a little sad about that? Education is the single best avenue for reducing already oppressive and rising levels of social inequality, and yet the very people who would best be served by education are the least likely to recognize or seek out its transformative power? Agreed. But there is a lot of misinformation out there on how to actually go about getting the resources to make college affordable. Yes, this story is as old as time. Papa, Papa, the university has accepted me. Oh, here you go again, my boy. We don't have the money for a fancy private university. Oh, but Papa, my out-of-pocket costs are only 12% of the nominal tuition price. Boy, you aren't making any sense. We have talked about this. Work a dead-end minimum wage job, save up, and then go back to school in 42 years when you can afford it. Papa, you have to consider the actual price of college. Think of the grants and scholarships. You are going to upset your mother, boy. Oh, Papa, remember when we completed the FAFSA? That qualified me for thousands of dollars a year in Pell Grants. And on top of that, the school offered me need-based financial assistance. FAFSA? That sounds like something we talk about on a future episode of Nothing Funny About Money, boy. I know what you're talking about. Oh, and think, Papa. Once I'm on campus, I can get a work-study job. I can get real-world job experience. And when I finish work early, even get paid to do my homework. Oh, son, you make me so happy. If only I knew all the rules that help low-income families. Go to university when I was your age. Oh, Papa, thank you. What a happy day for our family. Let's go tell your mother, quick, in the flashback. We don't have a woman on this month's episode. I know what it sounds like, but that was an actual recording. The younger guy there is my great-granddad, Giuseppe Portobello. All right. I bet a lot of our listeners are rolling around laughing right now. But, <laughs> in, a, but, but, in but, shared embarrassment. Yeah. But if you think about it. If you what take, am I listening to? If you take away the horrible accents and mine was not Italian at all, <laughs> uh, if you're honest with yourself, You've had that same conversation. Yeah, but without the accents. Of course, probably. Uh, There are so many ways to reduce the cost of education, scholarships, work-study, grants, state aid, like the HOPE scholarship, and so on. And as the cost of education goes down, the value goes up. Is the value of education higher for low-income people? Do we have actual evidence on this? Oh, yes, plenty. And we can take a look at UGA as an example. We have some diversity across the wealth spectrum. Uh, meaning how wealthy their families are. Yeah, right. Okay. So we can compare where all these students end up for their own income levels. Just because you come from a rich family doesn't mean you end up rich. And the same goes for poor students. And these students all went to the same school, so we're controlling a bit for their education. Right. So how does this same school affect these people? And we can start with students from the top 20%. On average, they end up at the 68th percentile. So they fell down. Right. So they went from the top 80% to 100%, and they fell to 68%. Now, they're still young, so it might go up, but this is Peter Thiel territory. And by that, you mean education maybe doesn't have a ton of value. So what's the value if you're falling down the wealth ladder? Well, let's listen to what Vivek Wadwa has to say. He's an entrepreneur, writer, and professor at Duke. Peter Thiel has made so much money that he's out of touch with the real world. He doesn't meet common people. He doesn't understand their needs. He doesn't understand how important education is for the masses. You can take 24 children and make them successful by giving them on-the-job training. But that's not a lesson for the rest of America. What I worry about is a message that's getting out there to America that's okay to drop out of school, that you don't have to get college. Absolutely dead wrong. 
One of Vivek's favorite topics to write about is how education can open doors for women, people of color, and low-income people. So let's turn to some of that data. Yes, the the data tells a very different story than the one we tell for high-income families. For people who started in the 0% to 20% bracket, they ended up at 61% on average. That is a huge jump. Yeah, that's huge. And if you think about it another way, it nearly evens the playing field. From 61% for those people to 68% for those higher-income people. And this data, by the way, is from the Equality of Opportunity Project and the New York Times for the class of 2013. Before, we were talking about people who get degrees and still end up working in low-paying jobs. Are we now saying that's wrong, that doesn't apply to lower-income people? Oh, no. All that same stuff applies. Everyone should pursue a degree that pays off, in my educated opinion. (laughs) Sometimes I question that. Mm. But for those of you who might be listening and have struggled with what you've heard happens when college goes wrong, there is solid evidence to suggest that an education helps more than it hurts. But maybe college isn't for you. Fine, no problem. There are so many paths. And I want to turn back to Mike Rowe to hear what worked for him. Look, I was lucky. I went to a community college, then I went to work, then I went back to school. I got my degree, but my real education took place in reality TV, mostly in a sewer. (laughs) If you're thinking of going the trade school route, awesome. Be sure to visit Mike Rowe's website, MikeRowWorks.com. Yeah, I'm actually looking up what it takes to become a successful plumber right now. Right, and part of that process (laughs) is considering your return on investment. Yeah, said another way, does it make sense to take on $60,000 worth of student loan debt when you only expect to make around $35,000 a year upon graduation? In this scenario, you have two options. Consider a different major with greater earning potential or find ways to minimize how much you will pay for school. A great website to look up to get an accurate idea on what your potential earnings might be in your respective area is payscale.com. They even provide a ROI, return on investment, for any given major. And outside the obvious, which is to search for grants and scholarships, it's important to expand your options. A two-year community college might be in line with your career goals and budget. Uh, man, there is so much more to explore with this. All right, and that's why we're going to stretch this conversation out over several episodes. Big picture. Know the job you want. Know how much it's going to cost you. Going to college can be an amazing time in your life and can pay huge dividends forever and even generationally. It can also saddle you with debt and give you a very little return. No matter what the overall stats say, this is a personal choice and you have to make the right decision for yourself. Not sure? Talk to people in the field you want to work in. Talk to guidance counselors. Talk to us at Aspire and stay tuned to Nothing Funny About Money. Our next episode will focus more on the practical financial tips that can go a long ways towards helping families afford college. We'll also sprinkle some other episodes in over the coming year that unpack things like a 529 plan, the Hope Scholarship, getting scholarships after you've enrolled, and how to navigate the process of repaying student loans, just to name a few things. We'll just take it one step at a time. Is that it? Almost. As always, if you need help with prepping for college or managing your money, reach out. We're here to help at the Aspire Clinic. Make an appointment online at www.aspireclinic.org. 
By the way, this episode is originally airing October 1st, and that's a special time for us because it marks one year since we reached out to WUGA in the first place. Our next episode will coincide with our very first recording. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're actually, we're incredibly honored and, and humbled to have this opportunity uh, to be on air, and we owe it all to you all. And to the College of Family and Consumer Sciences. Absolutely. And to our executive producer, Chris Shoup, and our audio engineer, Garrett Burke. Absolutely. To celebrate, we're launching a brand new website, a new logo, and a bunch of new stuff for you, so definitely be on the lookout. We'd very much appreciate if you could help us celebrate. Like, really, please do us a big favor. Uh, please visit www.nothingfunnyabout.com. Money.org. At the top, you will see a big donate button. We're hoping that you like what you hear and want to help us keep up the good work. We would be very thankful for anything you can contribute. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Check out nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org and shoot us an email or like us on Facebook or visit us on campus. Thank you all again for an awesome year. Here's to many more. Peace. You've been listening to Nothing Funny About Money. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. This program is made possible by the College of Family and Consumer Sciences at the University of Georgia in cooperation with WUGA. For more information about our program, visit us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. Or need help? Get it! Visit us on campus at the Aspire Clinic. Thanks for listening.